Anyway, how's everyone doing? Good. Sorry, I'm still recovering from that video. I'm a big empath and an ENFP. I'm like a 98% feeler, so those videos are like created to make me cry. So bear with me. I'm still, <laughs> still recovering from uh, it. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Justin. I am the student ministry director here at Crosspoint for our high school and middle school students. It is awesome to see all of you guys here for our high school students that are joining us today. Thank you guys for being here. I'm gonna read our scripture that we're gonna be going through this morning. If you guys don't have a Bible, we have some in front of you. So go ahead and open those up and join me. We're gonna be in Acts chapter seven, verse 44, all the way to the end of that chapter, verse 44. Our ancestors carried the tabernacle with them through the wilderness. It was constructed according to the plan God had shown to Moses. Years later, when Joshua led our ancestors in battle against the nations that God drove out of this land, the tabernacle was taken with them into their new territory, and it stayed there until the time of King David. David found favor with God and asked for the privilege of building a permanent temple for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who actually built it. However, the Most High doesn't live in temples made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Could you build me a temple as good as that? Asked the Lord. Could you build me such a resting place? Didn't my hands make both heaven and earth? You stubborn people, you are heathen at heart and death to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation, and they shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Thank you, guys. So... The courtroom scene is here, and it doesn't end like a few good men with, you can't handle the truth, and boom, the evil guy gets yeah, taken out. In this case, the good guy gets taken out, drug out, outside the city, and stoned and killed. As, as we look at this story, we're wrapping up this, this courtroom scene here, Stephen has been taking them on a journey of saying, you are so into the temple and the Torah. The Torah is the word for the Bible or the law. Temple and Torah. You're so into those things, and yet you consistently, from the time of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, our captivity, our freedom, consistently, you, we have ignored and rejected God's message and God's messengers. And he says, and now you accuse me of blasphemy and treason for profaning the temple. He says, the temple, the guy that built the thing, Solomon, even said about his temple as if God could live in a building made by human hands. Come on. And of course, they don't 
like to hear this, what he does is he turns this on its head here. He kind of flips it around and moves from being on the defense to being on offense and prosecuting them. He says, you charge me with treason and blasphemy? I charge you with treason and blasphemy. You can just feel the tension in the, in the courtroom. Uh, just, people are just freaking out right here. He says, from the very, very beginning, we have rejected God, and you're doing it even worse today. And, and Jesus said what Stephen echoes here in his message, where he says, you guys say, well, we never would have done those terrible things about killing all the ancient prophets and all that kind of stuff. He said, here's the worst thing about it is that you've done even worse than all those idiot fools that you make fun of. Say, oh, well, thank God we're not as bad as those people. You've done it worse because the one who came here who was the embodiment, was the temple of God, where the presence of God actually dwelt in him, the one who perfectly fulfilled this Torah law that you're so into, you killed him, you morons. Yeah, that's, when he calls them uncircumcised Gentiles, that's, that's a euphemism for you're an idiot, stupid idiot moron. Calling them out out there. If you're newer to our church and you're offended by that, just hang on, it's gonna get worse. <laughs> <laughs> And he says, and you're into this temple, the ooh, the temple of God, where the glory of God dwells. You rip down the temple where, where God came to live in a person. You tore him down, you crucified him on a cross. And of course, they get all blah. Uh, they're, all, he, they're all enraged by what he's saying. And at this point, what's fascinating here, keep something here in the book of Acts. I want you to see this over in Mark chapter 14. It's a few books to the left in your Bible. Stephen is there in the courtroom and they're all shaking their fists and it's all just whatever and the judge is going order in the court and they're all freaking out and Stephen says, oh look, I see him, the son of man at the right hand of God. Now you and I hear this and go, a son of man, what's all that? Understand something, this comes from the book of Daniel where Daniel was given a vision of God and he says at the right hand of God was the son of man. Pre-shadowing, figuring when God would become a man. And so when you hear the word son of man in the Bible like that, all capitalized, what you can almost imagine is like the ultimate one. The, I see the ultimate one, the son of man. And Jesus was on trial for his life. And it tells us in the trial, in Mark chapter 14, that over and over again, they asked him questions and he wouldn't answer them. He didn't answer, he didn't answer. And then finally the priest, in a moment of desperation, says, I adjure you, I tell you, by all the authority of the kingdom of Israel, you tell us, are you the Christ, the son of the living God? And if Jesus is quiet right there, he's acquitted and he walks out of the courtroom. And at the moment Jesus should just be quiet, he speaks up. Mark 14, look at verse 62. Uh, verse 61, Jesus was silent, made no reply. Then the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? Jesus said, I am. And not like I am, but it's the title of Jehovah, I am. And you will see the, here it is, the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. You know what just happened here? Several weeks ago, Jesus had stood right in that courtroom, right in that place, and said, you're going to see the Son of Man sitting on the clouds of heaven at the right hand of God, talking about himself, and they accuse him of blasphemy, drag him outside, flog him, whip him, crucify him on a cross. And now Stephen says, there he is the son of man. I see him. He was given a vision of God. And what's fascinating here is every time you see the son of man, Jesus, in the Bible, he's always sitting at the right hand of God. Do you see what he's doing here? He's standing. I think this is since whenever God's people suffer, there is a sense where God gets up off his throne and goes, 
that's my kid. Look at them down there. There's something in his heart and soul that just, he's so excited about all of that. So that's what's happening in here. And of course, they drag him outside the streets. He just saw it, what Justin just read for us. And it says that they stone him to death. He becomes the first, what the, what the scriptures call a martyr, someone who is killed for nothing except for believing the wrong things. And he's killed for, for proclaiming Jesus. Uh, and it says, sitting there with the coats, that's just a euphemism for the one overseeing the deal. You know, Saul's like an educated, skilled guy. He's not going to get his hands dirty with all the nitty-gritty stuff like that, but he's going to oversee it. He's overseeing the execution of this. And you think if you're new to Christianity, new to spirituality, you're reading this going, man, this thing's going to get wiped out. Like, it had a great start for a few months. <laughs> the whole thing just blew up right here. Not so fast. Come back next week. Justin, who just got up here and read the scriptures for us, is bringing a message next week for us about what happens here, that things are not always as they seem, even when you think it's being crushed and wiped out. Just hold on. But that's for next week. That's his message. Um, at the end, Stephen says he prays two prayers. He says, God, I commit myself into your hands. And then he says, don't lay this sin to their charge. This echoes two prayers. The scriptures there on your note sheet that Jesus himself prayed on the cross. One of the last prayers Jesus prayed was, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he also said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Stephen is just echoing this. Because see, the early church was not so interested in just helping you live a better life, giving you better marriage, better finances, helping you get free of your addictions and all that stuff. What they, were, what they were so preoccupied with was this Jesus person who claimed to be God, who was flogged and crucified, is risen again. And they told that story over and over and over and over again. And so when it comes to moments like this, you know what happens? Jesus just leaks out all over the place. Everywhere. They can't help themselves. He's not praying that prayer. Okay, I studied this on Google. What are prayers Christians should pray when they're being killed to death? No. It's just, it's, he just, this is the Jesus I follow when he's like the privilege. Anyway, it's beautiful and it's amazing. He prays those two prayers. Now, some of you hearing the story today going, well, I'm glad we heard about a guy who was killed to death for his faith, but what does that have to do with you and me today? Because the truth is, I doubt any of you have ever been or will ever be have somebody pick up a stone and throw it at you to kill you. You'll never be unfairly attacked with stones, but I'm telling you, unfair attacks, like what happened with Stephen here today? You see here? Unfair attacks happen all the time. They're everywhere out there. So there's some things to write down on, your, on the program. There's a little note sheet there. You can get that out, get a pen or pencil out. Um, what happens when I'm fair, unfairly attacked? When the rocks start flying? The first thing is to make sure it's unfair attacks and not because you're a jerk, idiot, moron. That's a different talk for a different day. Um, that's in the book of Peter. Peter himself says that. I told you it's going to get worse. Um, when the rocks start flying, and, and I just, what I did here this week is I, I, I didn't go out and go Google examples of unfair attacks. I didn't do that. I didn't go to commentaries. I, what I did was I just thought about you guys. And so if you think today, as I list through some of these examples of places where you've been un unfair attacks, and you think, is he talking about me? Probably. Now, this is not a passive-aggressive way to preach a sermon at you because I'm too chicken to sit down. Like, if we're going to need to talk, you're going to get a call and we're going to talk. So this is not some 
passive way to kind of give a message up at the front because I don't want to talk to you face to face. But I'm just telling you, here's some examples of, of things where we're unfairly attacked, where it's hurtful, harmful, and hateful. Sometimes when you're attacked, it's an accident. But sometimes people go, you know, that's all. <laughs> you ever heard that thing? Well, I, I didn't mean it. It's like, yeah, it doesn't matter. It's still, bam, still smacked me in the head. Sometimes it's aggressive. Sometimes it's passive aggressive attacks. People will kind of say little things on the side, little snide comments in the workplace, in your family. Um, when you husbands get home too late again and a little comment gets made, ow. When you're slandered, you're mocked, people lie about you. Just absolutely lie about you, who you are. Talking to, like, like last night at the, at the Jack Lantern Jamboree, which was just beautiful, off the charts, amazing, fantastic. What that's going to mean for you and me that are part of Crosspoint Church is um, we're going to ask you to make church an even more challenging, difficult experience for you. We're going to ask you to park even farther away. To do, I mean, if, obviously, if you have young kids out here, Young kids, the, the parking right here close to the church is not for you. Now, if you have special needs or you have young, young kids and all that, certainly use it. But we're, we need to keep that free and open for people that are coming here. Because I think God says, look, I'll send you people if you'll be ready for them. If you're not going to get ready for them, I'll send them somewhere else. I just assume God said, hey, we'll do whatever it takes to, to make all that happen. So um, that's, that, that's a commercial for something different. Um, that wasn't passive-aggressive. That was aggressive-aggressive. Um, <laughs> Sometimes two people will lie about you. Some, I, I talked to a guy last night at the Jekyll and Jamboree, and he's like, I can't believe this. I said this and this and this. And they later on told me they said that and that. I'm going, how in the world did they get that? Because people are evil. People just say dumb things sometimes. Sometimes it's not a, a whole lie, it's a half-truth. And you know how that is. The half-truth is a full lie. It's not, they don't tell the whole story. Um, not telling the whole story is what I also call uh, marriage counseling in America. I sit down with the wife and I hear about what an absolute tool the husband is. And then I meet the, with the husband the day later and find out what a, she is and go, how in the world can I get such two different stories here? It's because, yeah, because people are weird, man. People have assumptions, incomplete understandings of what really went down. Sometimes you're going to be attacked because you stand for the truth. You're going to be. Jesus promised this. So in our culture today, uh, on issues of sexuality and gender and identity, and you have a stand of like what the biblical stance on is, and then you huh, take a stand that's differently, they're going to get, you hate women. You hate gay people. Yeah, what, what's wrong? You're intolerant, all that, all that kind, kind of stuff's going to happen. Sometimes this is going to happen. It just occurred to me, just looking around out here, sometimes you're not going to be attacked. You know what's going to happen is? Your kids are going to be attacked. You know how that is? Like, you can come and attack me, you come attack somebody in my family, it's like, we're going to go. We're going to go. Your kids are going to be attacked. Your kids are going to be betrayed and be put in harm's way. You're going, they didn't ask for this. What, what the heck? What's going on here? It feels, it, 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 it's awful. Um, sometimes when we're on, on opposite sides of an issue, and there's big issues like abortion, sexuality issues, those big issues, but even in our culture today, we live in the era of rage and outrage. And so here's what it is. Your different position makes you stupid or evil. And all of us do this. The right does it to the left. The left does it to the right. Christians do it to non-Christians. Non-Christians do it to Christians. You, because you have a different position, I don't just disagree with you. You're stupid 
or you're evil or you're stupid and evil. That'll happen out there. Uh, anonymous kind of things. You know, you, you ever heard this like in a business meeting? Those of you that work in leadership and somebody will walk in there and kind of put their head down and go, you know, you know what they're saying? Like the, the, the there. If you ever come to me and say, hey, Steve, what are, you know what they're saying out there? I'm going to say, who's saying? If you're not going to tell me who, I'm not listening to you. I have no ability to know, is this your seven-year-old daughter or your 37-year-old neighbor? I have no context to evaluate that. So, but the there, it's this easy way to go, well, they're saying, because you don't have the courage to step up and really own up to who it is. There's verbal kinds of uh, assault that comes. Then there's... Um, the little text bomb hand grenades that come in and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, and and sometimes it's a delayed one uh, because it keeps going and going and starts off all well and good. I'll tell you right now, free commercial on this part right here too. If you ever have anything negative to communicate to somebody, do not put it in writing because they're going to have it forever. (laughs) When, When people do this thing too, when they'll do the, they walk up to you and go, hey, Steve, don't take this personally. <laughs> right? It's about to get very personal. And some of you know exactly what that's like. Um, they'll bring up the past. You have people in your life, and sometimes you've done some things, or they've done whatever, they have something in your past, and what they have done is they have the rock, and they have it right, well, it's too big of a rock to do this, but they have it tucked in a little side pocket here, ready just to go, you know what? When he makes me mad again, or she does something like that again, bam, and you can bring up the past, past from 15, 20, 30 years ago. And sometimes it was an awful thing that happened. So this is not some minor, small thing, but people will bring up the past to attack you. Sometimes the ones that happen too, uh, this happens on social media all the time. Posting, you've seen these posts, some of you have written these posts, because I know who you are and I've seen them. So I'm talking right about you right now. Uh, the whole one, you know, hmm, sounds so spiritual, sounds so godly. You know, real friends, and all this. Real Christians, all these things they do. But fake friends and fake Christians and all the evil things. And what they're doing is they have somebody in mind, they just don't want to say anything. They want to go talk about somebody, they don't want to go talk to them. High school students, you guys are doing this like crazy. You know why you're doing it? Because you have moronic parents that have done this. Some of you are new going, why did we come? We did that jack, that jamboree thing. Like, that was so fun. All he's doing is calling us morons. Like we're up to six times. It's just going to get worse. And then sometimes, sometimes the attacks, what's really tricky is when it comes from a friend. When all of a sudden you go, wait, wait, where in the world did that come from? I get it. Like outsiders or people out there in the workplace, but my good friend, somebody I've done life with, and all of a sudden, on me, like, whoa, that'll be terrible for you. And then you also need to know, too, in terms of how things worked with stoning back then, because I always read these stories of people getting stoned back then. I go, that's crazy weird. Just run. If they're going to get dry, just go run. Well, here's how they did stoning back then. They would take the person who's going to be stoned to a big pit. It was at least twice as tall as a human being. And with their hands tied behind them, they would take him and they would, boom, shove him into the pit, falling probably 15, 25 feet, boom, down. If that didn't kill you, what they would do is they would go over here 
and get a massive rock and they would flip you over and they'd take this rock right on your chest and they would bam down on you and if that didn't kill you then the rocks came out and people surrounding the pit would stone you to death but you again you've been shoved down knocked delirious unconscious by falling had a stone on you and knocked the wind out of you crushed your heart at some whatever that's going to be and then they would do this and I'm telling you that some of us have not just been attacked like this we've been attacked like that what, what was put on us, the abuse, the betrayal, things that happened to us. For some of us, this happened when we were seven years old, 17 years old. Someone betrayed us so badly and hurt us so badly. Sometimes it was somebody that was supposed to care for us and look out for us, and it just, and it's still on you. Hasn't got, it just, I don't know what to do with all this. These are examples of the kind of, of attacks that will be there. So we've identified the problem. How do we tend to respond? Typical responses to attacks. And look, guys, I want to make sure you understand today. I'm not talking about the attack where somebody didn't like your green bean casserole for Thanksgiving, <laughs> and they posted about it. I'm talking about real attacks. Stuff that really hurts. Sometimes what you want to do, here, the first thing to write down here today is when these attacks come, if you can, duck and defend. Duck, get out of the way of it. I've been talking to a couple of guys right now about some things they're going through in their family and their life. Hey, sometimes like, you just got to leave that job. You got to leave that class. You, gotta, you, get, you might just need to get out of the way of it. Maybe. Just duck. Get out of the way if you can. Sometimes what we like to do is like to defend ourselves, try to explain what, how bad it was or how much it hurt. Um, what we typically want to do, though, when we, have, when we get attacked is not just duck and defend, but retreat or retaliate. Um, sometimes we want to go inside, and some of us have done this like crazy, especially a, a very difficult attack, and we will relive it and relive it and relive it and think about it and then imagine revenge scenarios like law-abiding citizen kind of revenge scenarios. Cool. <laughs> that guy was demented, man, but that was awesome. Um, we, will, we will imagine all this and replay it in our minds. Sometimes what we do is when someone throws, gets out here and throws a rock at me, oh, tricked ya. Yeah. What do you want to do with that? Yeah, so go ahead. Nice one, thank you. That's what we want to do. We, it, we want to retaliate. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. Now, sometimes we have no ability if we make, in, a, in a real stoning kind of thing, but when attacks like, that are unfair that come against us, we want to, to retaliate. Sometimes what we want to do, and whenever we retaliate, it always escalates. The rocks just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. You think you're getting even, they think you got ahead, so they got to get a bigger one for next time. Um, sometimes what we do is we circle the wagons, we get allies around us, and we get allies around us for two reasons. One is to help us, to empathize with us, to help us recover, to help defend us, but oftentimes the reason we get allies is a staging ground to go, we got to go attack and kill some people. I need people on my side to go out and get them, 
Uh, that will happen. What, what happens here is we take matters, typically, typical response, we take matters into our own hands. Uh, flip in the right to your Bibles to, it keeps them here in Acts, but to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. If you get to Revelation, you've gone too far. Hebrews, James, our books you'll get towards the end of the Bible. And in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. I don't think these verses will be up on the screen. I don't think I put those up. Some of the other verses will be coming up here in a second. But uh, let's, let me just, you can read along with me or just listen. Um, 1 Peter 2, 21 says this. For God called you to do good even if it means suffering. Just as Christ suffered for you, he is your example and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted nor threaten revenge when he suffered. Here it is. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. I want you to see here, there's a lot of ways in the Bible we could look at about how to respond to unfair attacks. I want to take a look at what just Stephen does here in this one. And there's other verses and other things, other things you can do to, to respond to unfair attacks. But it's fascinating here. What Stephen does is, the two things he does here. He, number one, write this down. He, instead of taking matters into his own hands, instead of praying down prayers of vengeance and retaliation on them, Father, he says, I commit this into your hands. What this means is I surrender this situation to God. Now, don't miss this, because some of you are going to hear today, oh, I just got to surrender my life to God, and just, okay, I'm just going to surrender. Hear a good worship song and surrender God. No, no, what you do is, with my kids right now, with my ex, with the person at work, with the person in my small group, I'm just looking around here going, I know some of your stories. When I got unfairly fired, God, not just surrender my life to God, but this particular situation I'm going to surrender to you, God. And I would encourage you, maybe I didn't put it on the note sheet today, but just God I entrust, and you put a blank right there, put the person's name, put the situation down, and go, God, I need to surrender this to you. Not just general surrender, but specific surrender to God. And again, we live in a culture of, a, uh, of rage and outrage, of, of revenge and retaliation. We want to settle the score. And I want to tell you today, Crosspoint, where your faith starts getting real, where you can recognize, man, I'm, I've, I've grown in my faith, is, is when it's not based on how much doctrine you know, how much you can defend the faith, how much you can challenge people and get out there in the workplace and talk about the resurrection and the ontological argument for the existence of God, the moral argument of God. And it's, look at me, it's not even all the kind, great things you do for people. Even shoeboxes for kids all over the world. Digging wells for people in places where there's not clean water. All those things are great and wonderful to do. I'm going to tell you today, where your faith starts to get real is how you treat people who hate you and don't like you. And it's easy to say amen to that. I appreciate the amens and all that. That is a... Ugh. And, and you're going to read the Bible sometimes. And see, some of us have read the Bible so long and we so sanitized it that we don't get the offense of how ridiculous the things are that Jesus asks us to do sometimes. I'm going to show you today in the culture of the era that we're in right now, of the COVID age, rage, and era of, of age and, and rage and retaliation and all that, look at Matthew chapter 5. 
Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 38. Matthew 5, 38 says this. You have heard that the law, you have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. You go, that's, yeah, to limit justice so we don't go crazy revenge stuff. An eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. And now this one speaks right into this next verse into an era of what I believe and what a lot of you believe is a lot of government overreach. Jesus talks about government overreach right here. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Nothing in the Bible about you're supposed to carry. This is the Roman soldiers occupying their own. They could just go walk up to you, go, I can't carry your wear, I'm carrying on my way to a birthday party, pick up my gear, take it for a mile. They can demand that you do that. He says, oh, when you do that, when they overreach, let them overreach and even respond with doing even more. And I am going to resist the temptation to talk about all kinds of stuff right now. Um, because we've had 25 families leave our church in this last year. I don't want any more of you guys to leave. I'll let the Holy Spirit tell you what that means for you about what it means to react when the government overreaches. Just listen to Jesus sending this to us today. I'm not making this stuff up. Give to those who ask you. Don't turn away from those who want to borrow. You've heard the law that says, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for the ones you didn't vote for. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven, for he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends his reign on the Republicans and the Democrats alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors and conservative Republicans do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even progressive liberal Democrats do that, but you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And people go, how do we be perfect? He's talking about relationships. Like the way we do relationships ought to be like, what is that? What's going on there? And we live in a culture right now that says we extend grace and kindness to people who are like me and people who haven't hurt me. That's the world we live in. The way of Jesus says, I'm going to extend grace and kindness to people who are completely different from me and who have hurt me. That's the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I know for some of you sitting there, I go, but Steve, you don't understand my situation. I go, just take it up with the creator of the universe. I'm just delivering the mail today. I'm just telling you, you got to figure that out. And you can, again, thinking for a minute. I want to be disciplined with this. You can be a great American and disagree with Jesus on this. But at some point, God has not called you to be a great American and a great patriot. God's called you to follow Jesus. The second thing we do here, what, what, Peter, what, me, what Stephen does here, is he says, Father, don't lay this into their charge, echoing what Jesus said on the cross when he says, Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. The second thing we do after we surrender this situation to God is we extend forgiveness. We just forgive him. Now, I think it's fascinating here. He doesn't say, Father, forgive them. He says, don't lay this sin to their charge. What that means is they've done something wrong here. 
Don't debit that to their account. God, when it comes to me, take it off what they owe me. They've done this terrible thing to me. I should be able, um, take it off my books. And he says, and God, here's what Christians, here's what we do when you're following Christ. Here's how you know your faith's getting real is when somebody who has hurt you, your ex, your kids, your boss, whatever that is, you say, God, don't let this be the cause that would separate them from you. Take it off your books too. Take it off your books. Let, let the gospel ring into that. Now, understand something here. You, you recognize this. He says, Father, uh, don't lay this sin to their charge. He didn't say lay this mistake. Or, you know, they're kind of stressed out right now and they're kind of acting out and all that. No, no. He calls it sin. It recognizes really bad things are going to happen to us out there in the world. Real sin is going to happen that's going to hurt when it smacks you across the face, when it lands on your chest. It's going to hurt. They deserve to be charged. You have a right for retaliation in the culture around you. You absolutely do. Jesus, Jesus is going to tell us, and the example of Stephen here gives us a different way to look at it. He says, they deserve to be charged. He says, they don't get what they're doing, Jesus says. They, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You know what he's calling them? Jerks, idiots, and morons. T today, if your name is Jim today, I'm sorry, but that's, don't be a Jim. Jerk, idiot, moron. Um, the world is full today of a bunch of jerks and idiots and morons, right? And I'm going to give you a, this is a great little exercise. I, I Googled this, found this this week. Um, next time you're at a crowded place, at a restaurant, at a movie theater, whatever, go into the, just find a time, get up from the table, go into the restroom. Don't look at the mirror. Don't, don't do anything. Turn your back to the mirror. Take a breath, count to two. Turn around. And whoever you can see in the mirror is a jerk, idiot, and moron. And some of you are going, I'm not a jerk, idiot, moron. No, you're the worst because you think you're not. You're doing all the passive-aggressive jerk, idiot, moron stuff out there. Oh. Jesus says, look, let's do it differently. Let's, instead of retaliating with justice, let's retaliate with grace and forgiveness. It's crazy, and this is impossible on your own. This is, takes the supernatural work of God in your heart and spirit to save you. Um, so the question today is, why should I? Well, I could trot out the answer, because Jesus said to, shut up. But I'm not going to say that today. That's one of the reasons why. I'm going to tell you what's in it for you. Not just because it's the right thing to do, because the Bible said to do it. That's good enough. I'm going to give you some benefits for you personally. Number one, what's in it for you is forgiveness and, and this whole deal of forgiveness and surrender aggressively roots out bitterness. Forgiveness means I stop retelling the story over and over and over and over again and replaying it and replaying it and replaying it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let it go. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. You can turn there and just let me read it to you. It's a quick verse. Hebrews 12, 15 says it this way. Uh, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting, what's that last word there? Many. Some of us have this personal relationship with God. I go, well, it's just me, and I'm just, whatever. I'm telling you right now, that stuff gets in your family. Moms and dads, when you've had this with each other, you know where that's getting on? It's on your children. 
in your small group when you're all mm, about stuff that gets crazy. Some of you have been part of churches for crying out that have this whole edge of, mm, of everything out there about it. That root of bitterness gets in there and jacks you up and makes a mess out of your life. And here's the great thing too. You'll never know how strong you are until you have to forgive someone who wasn't sorry. Some people say, well, you can't have forgiveness until they say they're sorry. Jesus on the cross, Stephen in the pit. Father, forgive them. They're jerks, idiots, and morons. I don't know what they're doing. Did one of those people say, oh, I'm really sorry. We've done too much here. We've overreached. I'm really sorry. Nobody admitted they're wrong. Nobody apologized, whatever. You can forgive them anyway. And the forgiveness isn't even about them. It's about you. So that, that root of bitterness doesn't get inside there. Somebody said this. Uh, you guys have probably heard this before. It's all over social media. Drink, uh, bitterness and lack of forgiveness is drinking poison, hoping it kills the other person. And all you're doing is killing yourself. And you're not, and that other person out there has long forgot about you. And you've just kept this inside your soul. I found this quote here this week. I'm not even sure who it was that said it. I tried to Google it and find it to reference it, but here it is. It took me a long time to understand what it means to forgive someone. I always wondered how I could forgive someone who chose to hurt me. But after a lot of soul searching, I realized that forgiveness is not about accepting or excusing their behavior. It's about letting it go and prevent their behavior from destroying my heart. Understand something, too, about forgiveness. I should have said this earlier. Forgiveness doesn't mean we accept or excuse that behavior and say it's okay. No, it's it's wrong. And forgiveness, this is super important for some of you, especially today, forgiveness does not mean that things just go back to normal now. There might be some boundaries. Like, forgiveness is one thing. Reestablishing trust takes time. So you can forgive somebody. God, I'm not going to revenge on them. I don't want things to do anything. But I do have to put some boundaries there from time to time. So just that, for a few of you need to hear that because some of you will go, I just got to let things go back to normal again and let them just hurt and abuse me again. No, no, no. You can forgive somebody without trusting them completely yet. Trust takes time. Second thing, the reason you ought to forgive people uh, is that it increases, it increases my credit line that I desperately need. In the most misunderstand, misquoted verse, I think, in almost the whole Bible, the other one is Romans 8, 28, but um, Matthew 7. Even non-Christians know this verse. The old school King James verse is judge not, lest you be not judged. It's like not supposed to judge anybody. Number, uh, uh, Matthew 7, verse 1. Do not judge others, and you won't be judged, for you'll be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you'll be judged. Here's the clarifying question you need for yourself today. Forget about the fact of think, about that it's the right or wrong thing to do. Pragmatically, when you stand before God someday, do you want his justice or you want his grace? grace. Some of you are going, oh, I could do it. I could take his justice to you just have no idea <laughs> about how ridiculously sinful, evil, black-hearted, wretched, jerk, idiot, moron you are compared to the holiness of God. You're going to want grace someday. And Jesus just said here that it'd be good for us to take a self-inventory. What kind of grace have I received? In the past, what have I been forgiven for? What has God let me go on? And forget, you know, my relationship with God and my right standing with God. And sometimes it's like, just man, that thing I did when I was in college, the thing I did in my marriage where I jacked things up with my kids, like, I mean, God gave me grace on that because I didn't experience all the consequences of it. (sighs) crazy. 
But here's what I want to tell you today. It's not about what you've received in your past. It's what kind of grace will you need? Ah. It's none of your business to know the particulars of this. (laughs) Uh, But I'm telling you right now, none of you would go to this church if you knew my secret thoughts and knew the things that I've contemplated and thought and done. None of you would be here. And I recognize, God, look at this today. We have a couple hundred people here sitting at a church listening to me talk about grace and forgiveness. Look, I know I'm going to need grace and forgiveness. So what that means sometimes, too, is I have learned over this last year, a couple years especially, when there were some people that did some hateful, harmful things to me personally and to our church collectively in a lot of ways. And this is not a therapy session now. I'm okay right now, I think. Some of you are, you're not so okay. Um, (laughs) You jerk idiot moron. (laughs) I've learned to go, God, I need to start as a discipline praying for people who have hurt me. And not praying that God would rain down fire and judge them. (laughs) There's some stuff in the Bible about that too. Read Psalms sometime. For me, this guy, God, that guy out there, that girl, that thing out there, God, bless their marriage, bless their church, bless, people are coming to find Jesus there, God, bless them. And you know what that does for me? <sighs> Bitterness disappears. The, the root gets, gets out of there. And then thirdly, what forgiveness does is it changes the world. Forgiveness will change the world. Guys, we, the things that have happened to you every one of you, you are justified in how awful that's been. You're justified in the feeling of, I want, I want payback. I want some revenge. I want somebody to settle the score on that one. I'm not saying that that's not a justified reaction for you. And I want to be careful here. I want to say this in as gentle a way as I can right now. We live today in an era, in an age where uh, it's all about rage, revenge, retaliation. It's in our movies, it's in our music, it's on every news channel you'll listen to. It's all about cancel culture. Cancel culture is all about this. Payback, baby, for something that happened 15, 20 years ago. And and, And here's the crazy thing is, we can look at the world out there and go, that's a jacked up mess out there. You know what? Even the dumb Christians are doing this. Even us. Even here at Crosspoint, this is happening. So if you're offended right now, you probably should be. If you're feeling something like, I don't like what he's saying right now, pay attention to this. Because we are trading cultures and communities of redemption and forgiveness for cultures and communities of rage and outrage and revenge. Not the world out there, in the church of Jesus Christ. What if we could be known? What if we could be known for retaliating with grace? Whenever I get triggered, I'm gonna retaliate with grace. And look guys, I'm telling you right now, this is crazy stuff. No one does this. When you do this kind of stuff in the real world, not with minor little hurts and injuries, so let's start there. I'm talking about when you've really been hurt and wronged and you respond with grace and forgiveness and surrendering it to God, it's gonna change your heart and soul. It's gonna change your family. It's gonna change this church. It's gonna gonna change things. The band's coming up.
right here, right now. Um, we're going to give you a chance to respond to this in some different ways. Uh, we're going to sing some songs about grace to remind and inspire our hearts and soul about grace. And I thought about this last night at coming home from Jack Lantern Jamboree. Though you know the one thing that Stephen did in this? He had these two prayers, but you know what he did first? Before he prayed the prayers of surrender and forgiveness, you know what the first thing he did was? He looked at Jesus. So in all this, keep your eyes on Jesus. Guys, do not look around at other Christians that are being stupid, idiot, jerk morons. Everybody in here is gonna give you cause to deny your faith and deconstruct your faith and walk away from this. You keep your eyes on Jesus. And Jesus says, look at the grace you've received. Look at the grace you're going to need. He said, and when you get that, see, here's, here's what I fear sometimes too. I fear that very, very often we love to sing songs about grace. We love to hear a message about grace. And we love to acknowledge grace as like, that's important. Grace is important. What I'm praying for you for, that God does in your life is to help you experience and receive grace. Because once you really experience and receive grace, grace will get all over everything. I'm gonna give you a chance to come and remember Jesus today, coming to tables of communion in the four corners of the room. It's some bread and juice that symbolizes the crucified body of Jesus and the spilled blood of Jesus on the cross 2,000 years ago where his grace in massive, massive ways was lavished on us. And he did not do this for us when we said, gosh, God, we've screwed the thing up. Would you come and save us? He did it while we were given in the middle finger and saying, go away and leave us alone. And he poured out his heart and his life and his soul for us. So come and remember Jesus today. Come and receive and experience that grace. Our prayer team is in the back of the house today. You may have some stuff in your heart and soul that landed on you like that brick. And you need some help for somebody just to come and help pick that up off of you. One of the best ways to do that is come and share that burden. Let somebody carry that burden with you and for you by just praying for you today. Jesus, today, in the house, here at Cross Point Church, God, beyond all the techniques of responding to grace, of surrender and forgiveness, saturate us, dump out grace all over us and in us and through us.